Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. Today we're talking about the prognostic value of CRP in adults with congenital heart disease and whether CRP can predict adverse events in the future. I'm delighted to be joined by Laurie Heenan, who is a medical student and a PhD student from Erasmus University Medical Centre, Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Please feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and spread the news about the podcast. It really does help us reach new listeners. Enjoy the show. If it's okay with you, we can start with you introducing yourself for the heart audience. My name is Laurie Gene. I'm a PhD student from the Erasmus University Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, at the Department of Cardiology. And I'm currently involved in research about adult congenital heart disease and how we can improve risk stratification. And Laurie, you've recently published a paper with several co-authors from the same institution, which is called Prognostic Value of C-Reactive Protein in Adults with Congenital Heart Disease. Can you tell me a little bit about the background to this study, please, Laurie? Of course. Over the past few decades, the population of adults with congenital heart disease has been rapidly growing, and this is partly due to the pediatric care that improved the thoracic surgery, and nowadays, up to 90% of the children born with a congenital heart defect reaches adulthood. And even the children with um, congenital heart disease are now outnumbered by the adults. So notwithstanding these great advances in these life expectancies of these patients, the majority of adult congenital heart disease patients are not cured, but rather palliated. And so they have a lifelong burden of complication. And at adult age, we see that these patients suffer from heart failure, arrhythmias, the need for re-intervention, and also sudden cardiac death. So therefore, these patients require permanent specialized care. And yeah, we would like to closely monitor them so we know which patients have high risks of getting heart failure and all these other cardiac advance. So. Okay. And one of the hypotheses that you talk about in the paper is that you think that inflammation might somehow be linked to deaths or events in these patients. Yes, that's true. So there was a previous publication that showed that possible inflammation could contribute to the cardiac deterioration of these patients. And we have uh, a study that has looked into blood biomarkers for risk stratification. And of one of those blood biomarkers that we measured is C-reactive protein. And we also measured it over time. So we thought, okay, if inflammation would contribute to the cardiac deterioration, uh, we see increased levels of C-reactive protein over time in patients that experience heart failure or die during follow-up. So that's what we looked into. Okay. And what part of the puzzle is not well understood? Because you mentioned about using other blood biomarkers, and obviously we have echocardiography for for, uh, monitoring the structural heart of, of patients with this disease. But you were really interested in how CRP played into those other biomarkers. Is that right? Yes, that's true. We know from anti-proBNP from the general heart failure population that anti-proBNP is associated with increased cardiac pressures and also can tell us about the prognosis and mainly troponin T as well. But CRP, it was not clear how is CRP linked to those two more commonly known blood biomarkers for heart failure. Um, So we looked into whether CRP also could independently of these biomarkers predict outcomes in these patients. Okay, perfect. And what did you hypothesize? What were you thinking before you did the study? We were thinking that if CRP really contributes to the um, occurrence of heart failure, that 
it would cor mainly correlate to the anti-proBNP measurements, but in a such a way that we think that C-reactive coding is an acute phase um, biomarker. So what type of study did you perform? In 2011, we set up a large prospective observational cohort study. And in this study, we enrolled 602 patients with moderately to severely complex congenital heart disease. And they were seen during a regular visit to the outpatient clinic of the Erasmus Medical Center. And during these baseline visits, all patients underwent echocardiography, a physical examination by a cardiologist, electrocardiography, and also blood sampling. And these blood samples were, uh, were stored in our biobank, so we could lay, at a later moment in time measure those blood biomarkers. And also we scheduled annual outpatient follow-up visits for all of these patients for the four subsequent for four years after their enrollment. And we repeated the blood uh, sampling at these points. And we also checked whether patients were hospitalized for heart failure or had any other cardiac problems. And in that way, we uh, had an idea of how these blood samples over time would change with the heart failure status of the patient. Okay, perfect. So um, what kind of patients were represented? You said ACHD, adult congenital heart disease, but that's a very umbrella term, isn't it? You can have lots of different heart lesions and still have that label. So what were the, what were the main types of patients that were captured in the study? Yes, that's true. It's a very heterogeneous population. So we included moderate and severely complex. That meant that we excluded patients with a simple lesion, mostly uh, isolated atrial septal defects, bicuspid aortic valves. And most of our patients had a tetralogy of flow, a aortic stenosis, or a coarctation of the aorta. And we had some several other patients which are more uncommon, like Fontaine's. Mm -hmm. and mustard patients with a transposition of the great arteries. Okay. There was a bunch of... Perfect. So you excluded, by, I was going to ask, you excluded bicuspid aortic valve disease and simple ASD. Yes. Yeah, okay. And um, how long did you follow the patients up for? So in the study protocol, we saw every patient annually up to four years. And afterwards, we also gathered information about their adverse events. So in this study, we had a median follow-up of 5.9 years. And uh, during this period, we saw that 69 patients had incident heart failure or died during this period. Okay. And what were your study endpoints? You may have mentioned them already. Yeah. So we had like a, a primary endpoint in this specific study, which consisted of heart failure, either hospitalization or increased diuretics. Uh, and all-cause mortality, and we had a secondary endpoint of any major cardiac event, which also included arrhythmia, the need for re-intervention, hospitalization associated with any cardiac problem, and thromboembolic events. Okay, so biomarkers at baseline and then repeated annually for up to four years, um, and then you are seeing if there's any um, benefit of measuring those biomarkers in terms of predicting the outcomes uh, during the study. Does that sound about right? That's that's really right. Yeah, many biomarker studies look just at a single measurement in time, but during follow-up you, you measure again and how could you use all this information to indeed know which patients is at high risk. Okay, so you're also, yeah, you're interested in the temporal change in biomarkers over time and whether that increases the predictability just compared to a single baseline measure. Okay, 
And uh, how did you analyze the results? So with blood biomarkers over time, it's hard to analyze them because those measurements are related to a patient and are also related to the fact whether the patient is alive. So if you want to measure those blood biomarkers over time and relate them to a time to event outcome, um, like the survival status, you have to use an advanced model. And this model is called a joint model and it uses a Cox regression, both with a linear mixed model in such a way that the value of the biomarker at each point in time is related to the certain hazard of the event endpoints. And this is a, um, a joint model can be used in, for instance, R to obtain a hazard ratio for um, a certain level of the biomarker over time for the risk of the outcome. Okay. And what would you say are the most important results, Laurie? So we saw that both a baseline C-reactive protein is associated with the risk of death or heart failure. Also, when we adjust for anti-pro-BNP troponin T and clinical characteristics such as New York Heart Association functional class or the systemic ventricular function. And when we look at these repeated measurements, we see that in patients that experience heart failure or die during follow-up, we see that CRP levels on average um, continue to increase over time before they die or uh, experience heart failure. And we also see when you adjust those repeated CRP measurements for anti-probing P measurements and troponin T, we still see that C-reactive protein can give you information about which patients is going to get the highest risk of heart failure. So we actually see that C-reactive protein is a good independent predictor for outcomes. And can you give us an idea of as to the, the hazard ratio? So the hazard ratio for a repeated uh, C-reactive protein over time was per twofold higher CRP level 2.14. Uh, and when we adjusted for the repeated anti-ProBNP, this was a little bit attenuated to 1.53. Okay. But nevertheless, after adjustment, you found that ACHD patients with higher baseline CRPs were associated with a higher risk of death, uh, heart failure, uh, independent of NT-ProBNP and troponin. Right, yes. Yeah, perfect. And um, how did these results fit in with what others have shown in the past? So another study showed indeed that patients that are high at risk have a higher baseline CO reactive protein levels. And the median level in our study was around 1.5 and that was equal to another study. But they didn't have information on other blood biomarkers which they could control for. So this study could now show that C-reactive protein can provide prognostic value beyond these markers. And we could also show that it um, is repeatedly, it, it increases over time. We know from the chronic heart failure patient that C-reactive protein levels are related, for instance, to coronary artery disease and heart failure, but it wasn't uh, established in adult congenital heart disease yes okay so laurie what do you think might be going on here how do you explain how a crp at baseline and on annual measurements could potentially link to future events in this patient group what's what's happening here yeah this is a very interesting question and we've been thinking about this as well so it could be that inflammation really is part of the pathophysiological process that um, is included in the heart failure process. So inflammation really contributes to this 
cardiac function. It could also be if there is not a causal relationship that C-reactive protein is just an innocent bystander and could therefore be a very good prognosticator. So it maybe it is a reflective of other process of deterioration in ACHD that we are not known or aware of. But it could also be that if C-reactive protein is triggered by infections in these patients, which we try to indeed exclude by doing a sensitivity analysis, excluding patients with levels above 10. And we also had no signs of really ongoing bacterial infection in these patients. That if, if patients get infections and that will trigger heart failure, that we should really look into, okay, we should prevent any infections in these patients because it may give them a poorer outcome. Okay, that may be easier said than done, but no, I take your point, absolutely. It seems to be an interesting biomarker, for sure. Um, what messages would you give to the listeners who look after patients with ACHD? Do you think we should now be checking CRP regularly and routinely, or is this something you need to wait for larger studies to, to bring into the guidelines? That's also always a very good question, and I think that based on this study, we we can really say that people now which should start measuring C-reactive protein. I think it's good to be aware that just a slightly elevated level above like three milligrams per liter can indeed point out that a patient is at higher risk of, C of heart failure. Um, I think the general message is that biomarkers are really good prognosticators in adult congenital heart disease and that, that we should use them more in clinic. Mostly echocardiography is used to monitor uh, cardiac function. And I think anti, the use of antiprobin should be used. And where, if you measure C-reactive protein, that it could be really helpful to interpret this in the wider context of the patient and could give you an idea about how high risk this patient is uh, of having heart failure in the future. And what's next for the for this area of research, Laurie? Are you or your team planning bigger, larger studies in this area? Or are you looking at different biomarkers or combination biomarkers? So we're having this blood biobank, which enables us to measure indeed new biomarkers over time. But we're also trying to look into several specific congenital diagnoses because it's a very heterogeneous group. And you can imagine that they that one biomarker may not fit all diagnosis. Mm. So we're currently also busy on several sub-analyses in, for instance, tetralogy of Fallot. Right. And we're also trying to combine our data that we have on blood biomarkers with other biobanks studies on ACHG patients. So we could hopefully get a higher um, sample size to better establish these associations. Right. Perfect. To give yourselves more power to, to find an association. Yes. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Laurie. It's been really good to talk to you. And um, hopefully everybody will be able to read the paper freely on the Heart website. Uh, as I say, it's quite a detailed paper with uh, lots of tables and graphs would explain exactly uh, what you found, but it certainly gives me food for thought for sure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for discussing our paper here.